Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Well, after lingering several weeks in the eighth chapter of Mark's Gospel, we jump ahead to chapter 10, and after hearing this passage beginning at 17, after hearing this passage, if you say to yourself, Tom, why did you pick this? I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you. As we come to it, let us first join together in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we hunger for your word, and we are here, so speak to us, we pray. Let us hear your whisper. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Listen to this. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. It may seem odd to you, but I've been thinking that one of the things that Village Church offers, at least I hope we do because we're trying to do so with greater intention, is to offer a little joy, to be a place of joy. It seems to me that joy is not so easy to come by these days. When I say joy, I'm not talking about the pastels of just happiness. I'm talking about something more muscular, brave, courageous, joy. Now, maybe joy never comes easily, but we have our particular reasons. 
These days, we are all COVID-scarred. It's a virus that's been more deadly than war, made more complicated by misinformation. Actions that should be purely scientifically based have become politically charged and have set neighbor against neighbor, and it's left us weary. And it was just over a year ago that our capital, our national capital, was attacked leaving some shocked that something like that could happen in this land. And others met it with something of a shrug of the shoulders. I heard a particular senator describe it as more like a tour. It leaves us scratching our heads at how we could see things so differently. And then there's Putin's war. There are children who never got a chance to grow up because bombs are falling from the sky. In this world, there always have been and always will be Herods, people of power who choose to ignore the constraints required by morality. People of all kinds of power have to choose to be moral, and too many choose to ignore it. And these days, I so often just want to turn it off. I just want to escape it. I want to ignore it. I need more joy in my life. You know what I'm talking about? And then you come today, and here I am. You thought we were friends. Here I am. I read, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a person of means to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, I've known some people to give up something for Lent, but to give up everything, I've never known anybody to do that. So much for joy. I talked to a young friend of mine uh, a few weeks ago. I asked, how is Daniel? Daniel is her firstborn, just li little one, a little bit older than these babies. She said, I think I'm in trouble with that kid. I said, you do? I said, what's going on? She said, well, he spoke his first complete sentence last week. I said, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. What did he say? Mama, I love you. She said, no. He said, Mama, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> she said, I think I'm in trouble with this kid. Well, there are probably more than a few passages from the Bible that when you hear them, there's an internal voice that goes off and says, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't care if it's Jesus who said it. I'm not going to do that. Forgive 70 times 7. If you're keeping count, you probably won't reach it. I mean, if they don't straighten up after four or five times, they're on thin ice, right? Love your enemies? Who can do that? I find it downright miraculous to tolerate them. But to love them? But no passage, I think it's fair to say no passage strikes us as completely bonkers, as unrealistic as this conversation that Jesus has with the rich man. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And we say, yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. And we're not alone. It was the reaction of the rich man. 
It was the reaction of the disciples. And you will take comfort to know there's a long line of scholars and theologians through the generations who have worked, and average uh, pew-sitters, who've worked out interpretations to help us, help us get to a place where we can say, Jesus didn't really mean this. Some, some have said, this passage does not provide an ethic for all Christians. He's not talking about all of us. It's this particular man who needed to engage in this practice. Christian scholars as, as significant as Augustine and Luther and more recently Kenneth Bailey have said this man had a particular spiritual deficit such as a lack of sincerity, or an out-of-control ego, I've done all these things since my youth, or, or he's just trying to butter up Jesus, good teacher, good teacher, or he's just inordinately attached to his money. This word is just for him. It's not for us. You're off the hook. Of course, Jesus then continues and says, it is harder not for this guy, but for anybody of means to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Back on the hook. Some scholars have pointed out that there's a gate in the wall of Jerusalem that's called the needle's eye gate. It's, it's perfect for you and me to walk through, you just, just, just walk through, but it's kind of low and small, and it's just almost impossible for a camel. You'd have to grease that camel up good and get a lot of people pushing to get him through the needle's eye gate. That makes a lot more sense, except for that gate doesn't exist. Some have noticed an obvious typo in the passage. You know, it was written, it was written by hand. It's easy to, it's easy, but sometimes I can't read my own writing. That's why I have Marsha. I take it to her and say, you have any idea what this says? She's better at it than I am. It's easy to make a typo. The Greek word for camel is kamelon, but change just one letter, kamelon, that's the word for rope. Obviously, that's what Jesus said. It's easier for a rope to go through the eye of a needle. You with me? A rope to go through the... It, it might work depending on the size of the rope and the size of the eye of the needle might work. For a long time, the church has worked hard to avoid this difficult word. But you don't have to do that. We don't have to jump through all these mental gymnastics. We don't need to find a loophole or an exemption. We just say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So if that's our reaction, then why would I waste your time and mine to read this word that we, every one of us, knows we're not going to do? Why waste time even dealing with it? Well, I've spent a lot of time with Mark's gospel. I find it challenging. I find it relevant. I find it surprising. And more days than not, I think it's my favorite gospel. I don't know if that's heretical or not. No offense to John. Love you, John. But I think Mark might be my favorite gospel. And over the years, one of the most surprising things to me is that of all the people we encounter in Mark's gospel, of all the disciples, the religious leaders, all of the people that we encounter in this gospel, 
I think the person that I am like the most is this guy. Now, I'm not saying it's you, but I'm the one preaching, right? So, I get to say, I think of all the people in Mark's gospel, the one I'm the like the most is this guy. Now, why would I say that? Well, first, you notice it said that Jesus loved him? Of course. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus' capacity to love is limitless. We all know that. And because we know that, we may not recognize that in the whole of Mark's gospel, this is the only time it says out loud that Jesus loved. This is the only guy it says it out loud. If he says it to this guy, it must have mattered. This is one reason I relate to this rich man. I trust that the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ is real. The older I get, the more I trust it. That the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ is trustworthy. And it is a love that calls us by name. It is a love that will never let us go. So when it says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved this person. Write your name in there. He's talking about you too. I relate to this guy for that reason. I also, I find it, I, I find it compelling and have compassion. He's missing something. He runs to Jesus. There's not a lot of running in the gospel. He runs to Jesus. He doesn't just bump into him in a coffee shop and say, well, while you're here, I, I got a question. No, he chases him down. He wants to know. No, he needs to know, what am I missing? What, what is life for? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what have you been doing? He says, I've been following Torah. I've been following the law of God. I, I, I've been doing what my faith teaches me to do. But there's still something missing. My life is not full. I, I don't have joy. What am I missing? I get that. I bet you do too. You know you can come in here. You're here. It's spring break, people. You're here, and you know you can come and pay attention the whole time and get to lunch and wonder if God was even in the room. Nothing happened. You can do that a lot of weeks in a row. Nothing happens. You know you can try to live the life that this faith teaches. You can do the best you know how to do. And still you're thinking, what am I missing What's this life about? There's a lack. Jesus understands that. No wonder Jesus loved this guy. He is doing what he knows to do, and still there is some emptiness. We all stand in those shoes at times. So Jesus says, I tell you what, I know how to fix it. You sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Okay. What's that supposed to help, really? What's it supposed to help? 
If I understand the text, and I might not, you get that right, I might not. I think Jesus is saying to this guy, you're missing something because you're asking the wrong question. I think Jesus is trying to change his question. You remember his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus is saying, that's the wrong question. Eternal life is too small. Bear with me. If this man were to do what Jesus said to do, if he sold what he had and he gave it to the poor, logistically, how would that have worked in Jesus' day? Think about it. There's no food pantry that he can drop off donations in his way to church. There's no Thelma's kitchen that he could write a check to to support that wonderful ministry. There's no artist helping homeless that he can sponsor. No, if he's going to do anything for the poor, he would have to meet them. He would have to carry whatever it is to them. If he wants to feed the hungry, he'd have to make room at his own table for people to eat. In other words, he can't do this unless he he meets some people in need. Not just serve them, but get to know them maybe even love them. And when we get to know people in need, if we get to love them, it changes what we want. It changes our questions. It does. The man comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To think about this question, to think about this question, eternal life is a question about me. I don't want me to stop. I want to go on and on and on. It may surprise you, but Jesus almost never talks about eternal life. What he talks about all the time is the kingdom of God, the promised day of God. This man begins a conversation talking about eternal life, and Jesus immediately changes the subject to the promised day of God. And I'm not sure those things are the same. I think eternal life is about my life going on and on and on. I think the promised day of God is about all of life being changed, transformed. What Jesus says to this man is what you are missing, the joy you're looking for, the abundance that you are looking for. You need to meet some people who don't want life to go on and on and on. You need to get to know some people, maybe even come to love some people who want life not to be eternal, but to be transformed, to be changed. There are so, so many people in this world for whom the idea of life not stopping is not good news, but it is their greatest fear. To get to know them will change what we want. It will change our questions. 
I listened to an interview this week with Reverend Fyodor Reshenitz. He's a pastor in Kiev and teaches theology at the Ukrainian Theological Seminary. He talked about his grief last year. His wife died, COVID, still pretty fresh. And then bombs started dropping on his city. He's got people who love him all over Europe, and they reached out and said, come, come to us. It's safe here. Come be with us. And he said, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't leave. And so what he does every day is he gets food. I don't know how he gets it. He gets food, and he finds old people and families hiding in basements, and he feeds them. And then he serves them communion. And he was asked, why are you doing that? And he said, I need to remind myself and them that here in the midst of hell, we are still human beings. It is so crucial, he said, not to lose our humanity, but to, but to preserve it and show it and to demonstrate that human beings, that's what people need the most in this moment, he said. I think Reverend Rakenitz is a rich man who refused to go away sad. He chose to stay. And I know he has to know fear, and he has to know deep grief and probably anger, but I think he also knows joy. I think he knows the muscular joy that Jesus talks about. We all need a bit of joy in our lives, and I think that joy, our deepest joy is tied to that promised day that Jesus talked about all the time. It's that day when we will remember that we are human and we will demonstrate our humanity so we will not drop bombs on children and we will not chase families and old people into basements with no water or electricity. No, in God's promised day, we will be human beings and we will demonstrate it and justice and kindness will be the air that we breathe. And we are not there yet. You know it. Not by a long shot. We're not there yet. And because that's the truth, there is always, always a temptation to look away, to isolate ourselves, to ignore it all, to And if you have enough resources, if you have enough resources, you can be more successful at that than most. We can build our own castle and wall off the brokenness of the world around us. 
That temptation is always there. But the thing is, it's likely to get pretty empty inside the castle. So Jesus would teach you and me as people of means. He would teach us to find some sick people, find some broken people, find some lonely people, find some people the world has passed by, and meet them, know them, maybe even love them. Know them well enough that it changes our questions and our dreams, that it's not enough for life to be eternal. It has to be transformed. And as hard as it may be, if God's promised day is the ultimate source of our joy, then it seems that in these days, living toward that day is how we find joy today. And I know it's pretty bold. But to change the response, yeah, you would want to do that. You, you want to do that. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.